Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. I am your host, Michael Delaware, and today we are going to explore a small town in St. Joseph County called Colon, Michigan, which is known as the magic capital of the world. So come along and join me on this one. This is going to be fun. So most of the information I'm going to share with you today can be found on the colonmichigan.org website. And they've done a wonderful job of preserving their history. And so I'm just going to kind of tell you the story in their words. It's quite a a wonderful little town to go through. I've been down there a few times. I've always been impressed with the street signs. They always have these little magic logos on every sign. And there's little magic shops downtown. and, And they really get into the magic capital of the world theme. So it's kind of a fun place to visit. And they do hold some events in the uh, summertime and also springtime. So you can certainly check out and see what's happening down there. Uh, But at the end of the Revolutionary War, Michigan became a possession of the United States. We've kind of talked about that in some of my other podcast episodes on some of the early founding of Michigan. Here's some interesting information that they have there. It appears that the earliest known date of this territory was 1721, when the Potawatomi Indians moved into southern Michigan from Wisconsin. The Ottawa and the Miami Indians were also here, and there is evidence of mound builders in the area around Colon. On July 13, 1787, there was an ordinance adopted controlling the Northwest Territory. And you can listen to some of my other podcasts on the formation between Michigan transitioning to a statehood. I go into a lot about the early founding of the Northwest Territory. One of the interesting notes about that act is that it was a no slavery act and it allowed for one thirty-sixth of the land to be used for schools. So on October 5th, Major General St. Clair became governor of this territory, including what is now Ohio, Michigan, Illinois, and Wisconsin. By 1793, there was thought to be a white population of 7,800 people and at least 65,000 Indians. Michigan became a territory in 1805, and General William Hull was the first governor of the Michigan Territory, and the center of the government was over in Detroit. In 1821, Chief Topipahi of the Potawatomi tribe sold the white people a great area of land of which St. Joseph County was a part. The terms of the sale were $5,000 each for 20 years and a $1,000 a year to pay for a blacksmith and a teacher. The Ottawa Indians who were friends and allies of the Potawatomi, were to receive $1,000 a year forever and $1,500 a year to pay a blacksmith, teacher, and a farmer. Originally, Colon Township covered an area of 21,467 acres of land and 1,575 acres of water surface. A man by the name of Roswell Shellhouse came from Ohio in 1829 to the Colon area. He built a two-room log house in the northwest section of the township. By 1830, three brothers of Roswell had moved to Colon, all settled near the same area. In 1830, Lorisi Shellhouse, his brother George, and a friend named Hatch took it upon themselves to lay out a city plot on the land owned by Lorisi Shellhouse, 
Arrangements were made and a surveyor laid the lots. A dictionary was used to name the city plot. The first word they put their eyes on in the dictionary was the word colon. The definition of colon, a mark of punctuation indicating a pause almost as long as that of a period. So they called their little village in formation colon. That's how they got that name. The early settlers were farmers. The first crops raised were corn and potatoes. Wheat was sown until 1830. They planted garden vegetables, broom corn, and melons. The animals on the farms were oxen, cows, and hogs. Around 1846, horses and sheep were brought into the colon area. Back in the early 1900s, a medicine man came in town and he put on magic shows. The crowd would gather around and he would sell his goods. The local druggist, Charles Neendorf, learned some of his tricks and learned how they were done with chemicals and delighted his own customers by doing the changing of water to wine and back to water again. And his protege was a very young boy named Donald Watson, also known as Monk Watson. Monk, along with a friend, Neil Sweet, put on several magic shows in the area. So you can begin to see some of the early foundation of the magic history forming in this little community. In 1925, magician Harry Blackstone moved to Colon. He and his brother Pete Booten, along with the stage crew, would refurbish their illusion show during the summer months in preparation for their annual fall and winter tour throughout the United States. In 1927, Australian magician and ventriloquist Percy Abbott was invited to Colon by Blackstone. He stayed at his lodge on one of the lakes and did some fishing, and together they got the bright idea to form a magic manufacturing company, and it became known as Blackstone Magic Company. However, it was short-lived, and the partnership lasted about 18 months. After parting company, Percy started his own magic manufacturing company, and Harry went back on the road. Neither of the men ever spoke to each other again. Percy died in 1960, and Harry Sr. passed away in 1965. Blackstone is buried at Colin's Lakeside Cemetery, and Percy's memorial is on permanent display in the showroom of the FAB Magic Company, which is located in Colon. In 1934, a legendary magician, Lester Lake, a frequent visitor to Colon and inventor of hundreds of magic effects for Percy Abbott, coined the phrase Magic Capital of the World in reference to Colon, and the title stuck. So let's talk for a minute a little bit more about Harry Blackstone Sr. He was born in Chicago, Illinois, and he began his career as a magician in his teens and was popular through World War II and as a USO entertainer. He was often billed as the Great Blackstone, and his son, Harry Blackstone Jr., also became a famous magician. And as I mentioned before, he was also aided by his younger brother, Pete Booten, who was the stage manager in all the shows. Harry Blackstone Sr. was married three times, and Jr. was the son of his second wife. Now, Blackstone was in the model of the courtly, elegant predecessor magicians that were early in the formation of the style in America for magicians. And he customarily wore white tie and tails when performing, and he traveled with large illusions and a sizable cast of uniformed male and female assistants. And for a number of years, he toured in the Midwest 
often performing throughout the day between film showings, which were like, you know, a movie theater between shows and that sort of thing. And he would remain silent during most of his big stage show, which is quite different than what you're so used to with magicians talking to the audience and engaging. And while he presented, it would be an accompaniment with a pit orchestra and they'd play popular tunes of the time. And some of his popular illusions dealt with a woman laying on a couch, uncovered, and she would levitate, that sort of thing. Or an illusion today that has a lot of variations and are founded in some of his earlier styles of performing. He also performed the song, The Woman in Half, which he used an electric circular saw, some three or four feet in diameter and mounted it on an open frame. And it was quite dramatic. But Blackstone's version of that trick differed a little bit from others. He would have the lady lay on a table and that was pulled by a motor through the saw blade. So that approach kind of had a little bit more dramatic effect to it. Some of his more gentler tricks involved the vanishing birdcage effect and some of his more dazzling effects might be a little bit more lovelier with the enchanted garden where countless bouquets of brilliant feathered flowers appeared, you know, in various locations around the stage. And his house was actually on a small island in a lake near Colon, Michigan, which he called Blackstone Island. Uh, and that's where he hung out with his friend Abbott and, and formed the uh, Blackstone Magic Company that only lasted a short time. But in the 1940s, they had a lot of uh, comic books called the Blackstone Comic Books, and he was a super magician in the comics. So he got a lot of advertising just from that with the kids. And that was put out by a company called Smith & Smith. And of course, it had a, a big impact on the young people's audience of the day. In the comic, Blackstone traveled around the world performing amazing feats of magic and battling exotic villains and so forth. And he always rescued the young woman named Rhoda from pirates. And she becomes his regular sidekick. It was quite uh, a charming classic comic of the day. And it was published until about uh, 1946. Some of the other performers that came through, of course, were Percy Abbott, which I mentioned before. He raised his family in Colon and started the annual magic get-togethers, which still occur in the Colon area. Monk Watson was a vaudeville performer. He died in 1981. He also was an acrobat, magician, and radio personality. And he was also a musician and served as an MC. And he started the career of the great Bob Hope. And he also performed during World War One. And he was a lifelong Colon resident. And he served as the mayor at one point in time. So it was not only just a area frequented by magicians, but it was also the ones that built the props and created illusions and tricks that were sold at the magic companies there too that uh, made the place quite special and helped it achieve that title of the magic capital of the world. So today, the city or the village of Colon actually takes time to really build on the magic capital of the world theme. In April, they usually hold a flea market and magic auction, um, and it's on their calendar here at the colonmichigan.org website. They also have local restaurants that are really kind of built on the magic theme. One of them is called Magic Capital Grill. And there's also local lodging, which is, you're not going to find the big hotels there, but there are local lodges, like more like a bed and breakfast type thing and cottages. And they've got some uh, campgrounds too, if you want to bring your trailer or uh, camper with you. 
So it's kind of a neat little area, and it's a good place to visit for the kids because there's shops downtown, and there's um, the FAB Magic Company is there. And over the years, you know, they did continue doing magic manufacturing for the entertainment industry. So many of the tricks and many of the illusions that you might see that are commonplace in the magic world or part of the mainstay of the entertainment industry, a lot of it began in Colon, Michigan, right there in St. Joseph County. If you're ever down that way, definitely check it out. So that's going to do it for today's episode. It's a little bit of a short one, but I did want to feature Colon because really there's not often that you get to go visit the magic capital of the world. And they also have a museum in Marshall that is connected with the uh, manufacturing company down there. I should tell you that I did have a good friend that was a magician once, and I mean, he was a pretty world-renowned magician. I've met him a few times. And he told me that they they often held um, magical conferences down in Colon. So you'll sometimes find that they host uh, a lot of the magicians down there. So it's kind of a neat place to, uh, to visit, even when they're not hosting a contest. So um, it's definitely well-known in the magic community. So that's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoyed listening to this, please remember to subscribe to the podcast and let other people know about it. If you want to find out more about me, you can check out my website, michaeldelaware.com. I also have a YouTube channel. It's very easy to find, but I'll put the link in the description down below. It is also named Michael Delaware. So thank you for coming along with me on today's little tour through the magic capital of the world. And I hope you'll join me soon on the next one as we explore more history around Southwest Michigan. Thanks for listening.